0: I just took an order and nobody really uh, discussed whether we had the manufacturing capability to do it in the time frame. Yeah. So sales takes an order, you don't say no, and suddenly I I can't, you know, I'm stressing the supply chain because I can't get the materials in, my supplier can't meet my demands, the production lines are sitting waiting yeah. for inbound materials. That is that is the reality of what happens every single day.
1: Here is your host, Sam Gupta.
2: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. While sales and operations planning is the shared responsibility of both sales and operations, sales typically have far more cloud, while procurement with very little to no say in it. And as a result, most SMB organizations end up stocking the inventory far more than they need. And this overstocking results in the locking of cash and profitability issues. This is especially common with SMBs that are smaller and don't have private equity or VC investment with them. In today's episode, our guest, Anna McGovern, shares her insights into the procurement maturity model and governance framework. She also discusses the role KPIs play in setting the governance framework. Finally, she describes the ownership of various cross-functional responsibilities and how to ensure the accountability of supply chain KPIs. Let me introduce Anna to you. Anna McGovern is the managing director of Pondview Consulting and is a supply chain and procurement expert bringing together people processes, and partnerships. For 25-plus years, in the consumer packaged goods and beauty industries, she led teams that have delivered over $10 billion in innovation programs, 1,000-plus projects with flawless execution, and over $1 billion in cost savings and value creation through suppliers. Anna holds an MBA in finance, and ASCM certified CPIM and CSCP. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Anna, welcome to the show.
0: It's great to be
2: with you, Sam. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, it's my pleasure, to be honest. I mean, we have been trying this for what now, two years, I guess, for this interview. I'm (laughs) so, so blessed to have you. Thank you so much for finding time for this interview. Oh,
0: thank you. Again, I'm glad I finally could make it and be here with you in the audience.
2: Yeah, so we are going to have a lot of fun. Obviously, you know, you have tons and tons of stories, you know, from the procurement perspective. Obviously, you are very well known in the procurement community. But just to uh, kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus, Anna?
0: Sure, sure. So I've been in the world of supply chain and procurement for a very long time, longer than I care to announce. But, uh, (laughs) you know, 30 plus years working in the end to end supply chain. Yeah. Uh, Most of my career highlights have come through uh, suppliers, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. So I've I've worked in consumer packaged goods, in beauty and uh, in the nonprofit space. Yeah. And now I am uh, doing my own uh, consulting cool. uh, and advisory work, right, through PondView Consulting. And, uh, you know, I love I love to help, you know, smaller and, and mid-sized companies achieve their goals through the supply chain vision.
2: Very good. And very blessed uh, are these, uh, you know, businesses who are getting your attention. And so thank you so much for that. Obviously, we are going to dig into the the framework, you know, how enterprises think and what these SMB businesses can do to improve their maturity as well. But before we do that, uh, we have one of these standard questions that we ask every single guest, and that is going to be your perspective on business growth.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's interesting because the supply chain is such an enabler, Sam, and, and specifically, and more importantly, the the work of procurement these days Yeah, is a, key driver to business growth. So we're in a world where, you know, post pandemic, people are still trying to figure out where, you know, which sectors are going to grow. But the bottom line, economic activity is still moving forward. Yep. And, uh, you know, driving technological advances, looking for digitization and digital transformation of the supply chain to take massive amounts of data Yeah. And turn it into actionable information very, very quickly is at the heart of both procurement and the supply chain these days. So for me, growth uh, and opportunities are there for the taking. It's really all about responsiveness and recovery, how quickly you can respond, how uh, quickly you can recover from black swan events. Yeah. And the magic elixir is what is the digital framework and the data management to be able to do that?
2: Okay. Very, very, very interesting. So obviously there are going to be a lot of layers just in that conversation that we can uh, take on. And, uh, you know, one of the, uh, you mentioned a couple of terms, Uh, you know, responsiveness, recovery, obviously that is probably going to be relevant more from the Black Swan perspective. I don't know if that is also going to be relevant when there are other unpredictable events uh, in case of supply chain and obviously supply chain people have to work really really hard so one of the things that i want to touch on is going to be really comparing the enterprise versus smbs as you know and you know they don't really have as much maturity in their procurement pro- processes they might not have as much funds capital to be able to invest so what are some of the differences that you typically see when you compare the enterprise versus SMB and what they can do in the minimum viable investment is what I like to call, because obviously they are not going to have trillions of dollars uh, like some of these Fortune 500 companies.
0: This is absolutely true, but it's still about an ecosystem uh, that includes a network right. of uh, customers and suppliers. Yeah. right? And And so it's about putting in Sound management processes and controls for how to do that. So, you know, you can look at a maturity path. Yeah. And you know, depending on where uh, SMB or or even a larger enterprise, because even the large enterprises aren't necessarily doing it correctly, right? So, so there's a lot of room for improvement just in terms of uh, sound management processes and controls. And what is that collaboration framework that needs to exist where you're tying your tier one, tier two suppliers all the way to the integrated business planning conversation? Yeah. So as you're beginning to do your business planning process, so who are the business owners? Yeah. They need to be talking to those suppliers. They yeah. need to have a seat at the table. And that's where you know, procurement comes in to broker those conversations. So it's about understanding every level of the strategic and the operational and the tactical planning process and and making sure that there's a governance structure in place. Okay. And you don't need sophisticated capital to do that, but just make sure that governance is in place to have strategic, tactical, day-to-day operational conversations with the
2: ecosystem. Okay, very interesting. So my SMB listeners must be wondering at this point of time, okay, she's talking about governance and, you know, we don't even have any processes here for for my procurement. I mean, see, typically the way I probably buy stuff is going to be, here's my purchasing guy. They have just one vendor. You know, they might have the contract. They are making phone calls and that's how procurement is happening. Now we are going to be worrying about the framework. So let's say if you want to set the stage and if you want to coach Mm -hmm. uh, what these SMB needs to know and why, the governance framework is going to be important and how you are going to be segmenting that in what is strategic, what is technical, and what is day-to-day. Do you want to paint yeah. some more layers there?
0: Yeah. So, you know, again, you look at where people are in the maturity path to So yeah. when when there's a startup coming up, they're not really concerned with strategic sourcing. You, you know, it's a transactional purchasing scenario. Yeah. You have Maybe two or three people working in a department. R and D typically owns those supplier decisions and discussions. Yeah. And one hand doesn't know what the other is doing. You start getting up there, uh, you know, in the in the fifty to one hundred million in revenue. Yeah. Um, you start pushing the fifty to seventy five employees. Yeah. Uh, you're starting to produce a lot more. Suddenly, um, you're at the stage where you know, margin matters, right? right? So what happens are, you know, CFOs start to think, you know, we need to look at our margin contribution. Yeah. Uh, we need to analyze where we're spending. Why are uh, our cost of goods one way or another? Yeah. So that those, those inquisitive questions start to come and you need to start managing and analyzing your spend. So where do you start? You, know, you have to start with the P&L and then you look at your cost of goods. Yeah. And then you look at your indirect spend. Okay. And so you start looking where is the cash going? So it's always about follow the cash. Right. Where is it being spent and what's driving it? So when you put together uh, a process where you've got a cost model essentially, you start, you know, here's my revenue. This is where I sell. These are the channels. Yeah. These are my SKUs. Start analyzing the cost of goods and then. Once you've had that, you'll start to form insights into where your trouble spots are. you know if you're you know let's say let's say you make liquor, you know um, you know it could be your bottle spend. it could be your your, your cardboard spend. Yeah. you start to form insights about the trouble spots and yeah. where you need to focus. and then you realize that, hey, it's now time for me to have an ownership. Uh, you know, across the procurement cycle, so you start to have, you know, the need to hire either a senior-level manager or director or something at that stage for professional procurement at that point.
2: Right, right. So very interesting insights there. So I like the way you were going, uh, you know, through the PNL because that's going to be really, you know, that's how these companies can really understand where their costs are, and I can almost guarantee this, okay? every single SMB out there, they have significant opportunities. They simply have not Analyzed enough, they just don't understand how to save that money to be honest, uh, you know, with this framework. So, when you are, let's say, uh, we were going through, you know, the cost of goods sold, and after that, you mentioned that, you know, what you are going to have the indirect spend. So, let's say if you are looking at P&L of five different companies, and I can almost guarantee this, Anna, if you're going to look at that, you are absolutely going to spot, okay, this is the company that I can probably save, you know, five million, two million, or whatever by looking at the PL. Yeah. So, what are some of the KPIs that, that you look at? In the indirect spend category, uh, can you describe a little bit more on when the indirect spend is going to be high? Then what else do you want to look for? If it is going to be low, then what else you want to uh, look for? So do you want to describe right. the process of analysis?
0: Sure. And again, this isn't rocket science, Sam. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, look at where we, you know, where we're going to spend. And and typically, marketing spend is one of the, the largest. Okay. Or it could be, it could be, you know, employee services or, you know, travel expenses. Yeah. It, you know, if you take marketing spend. Yeah. Promo agencies and, uh you know, printing. And, yeah. You know, whatever it is that you need to promote your business, advertising and promotional expenses. Yeah. What generally happens is you've got a marketing manager calls up company X because they know somebody, somebody, yep. you know, reached out to them. And they cut a purchase order, right? Uh, you know, for get me some promotional, you know, jackets for right. for the team. Where we've got a trade show and we need T-shirts printed. Nobody is looking at, is this the right supplier?
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, you know, the next manager comes along and they go and find a different supplier.
3: Yeah.
0: And you know, pretty soon you've got a fragmented. Set of suppliers right. that no one is really looking at, and nobody has looked at. Well, could we consolidate the spend? At, you know, as a matter of, of uh, course. So it's again looking at which suppliers are in the database. Yeah. Trying to have a conversation with your stakeholders because the people that you need to convince. Yeah. The most about trying to have a disciplined approach to supplier spend management are essentially the users, the marketing people, the, the, you know, the, the, those that are traveling, you know, I get my points with Delta airlines. So therefore I'm going to book my travel on Delta. I, I stay at Marriott and I collect Marriott points. So that's where I need to go instead of trying to, you know, work towards a management approach with, a travel management supplier for example right. who can give you the benefit of consolidated discounts so it starts there and the same thing on the direct side you know again it's about finding where you're spending the money yeah. and looking for those opportunities first to leverage existing suppliers yeah and and second to introduce new suppliers by way of formal tenders you know to to be able to see if you can impact the the money you know impact the spend and, and generate savings and margin that way.
2: Okay, very interesting. So now you know you mentioned a lot about the strategic sourcing. I don't know at what stage companies typically incorporate the Strategic sourcing framework because obviously there's going to be a little bit of cost overhead. You need to hire smart people who are you know really good at that. Yeah. Uh, you know, initially you are probably not going to have that.
0: Yeah. So so where that usually happens, you know, as as the founders begin to grow right. and then as they grab attention and investors coming into the framework.
3: Yep. Yep. As yep. As
0: soon yep. as you've got private equity or venture capital, as soon as that comes in, yeah, it starts to put a little bit of pressure on the founders the c suite uh for them to generate additional margin so when a, when they're at that stage and and they need to generate more margin to be able to invest in growth yep that's typically the stage where you need to professionalize yep right that's that's usually a good indicator that it's time you know and i'll leave it at that you know because again it depends on industry it depends on on size. But the minute you've got investors coming in, they need a return on their investment.
2: And honestly speaking, that is the stage that I personally would like because the businesses are going to be far more organized. They are going to be far more efficient. It's good for everyone.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. But but it also takes a willing leader, right? So the CEO, the CFO, the COO need to be able to embrace that next phase because it takes a step change. Exactly. Because typically when you're growing um, and you've got the founder's mentality and you're just go, 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 and it's hyper growth, what winds up happening is suddenly you need to stop and implement a bit of discipline and rigor. And that requires a shift in thinking. Now you need to embrace the analytical people. You need to embrace the strategic thinkers, long-term thinkers, the introverts. Yeah. So it's a combination of leadership transformation as well as process transformation and systems transformation. So they go hand in hand and you can't overlook one over the other.
2: Okay. So that's a very interesting point. So we are going to build a little bit on that because I don't think a lot of companies really understand. You know, I am fighting this battle on a daily basis, to be honest. Okay. Because when you are a technology guy, and let's say if a company who has never done any sort of digital transformation, for them, they simply look at this at the, from the lenses of uh, technology. I will tell you the story of my current client. Okay, so initially they were really excited. We are going to get this fancy technology. It's going to make our lives easy. We are, going to, we are all are going to make so much money. Good stuff, right? That That, that is all fancy yeah. stuff. Once you get into the real crux of the... The digital transformation, the pain of implementation, and you know how how painful that process could be because obviously a sales, marketing, procurement—you wanna, you just wanna hit your targets, you wanna hit your KPI, and then you have this uh, bloated animal that is trying to move along with you for the greater good. I don't know when. So obviously there are going to be a lot of challenges there. So one of the things that I personally face is uh, you know leaders—they just don't understand why the process changes are going to be super essential and critical for any technology initiative to be successful so in your experience what would you say to these leaders when they are looking at these things can they simply look at from the technology and can it be ever can ever uh, can it be successful
0: yeah so so that would be like taking a, a fancy electrical car and, you know, giving it to somebody who doesn't know how to drive exactly. and say, but this is the best technology on the market. It's an electric car. It could drive, you know, and do all of these things. But if I don't know how to drive a car, exactly. then what good does it do me? I could be driving, you know, a Ford Focus or I could be driving a Tesla and I wouldn't know the difference. So it's, you know, putting in technology for technology's sake, uh, is a very bad investment. You're yeah. not going to get the return on the money. Um, you start with the people, right? And it has to start with the leadership embracing the need for change, right? Right? And they need to sponsor at every level. They need to sponsor the change. And then it starts with what is our business process? Yeah. What do we need to really focus on? First, it starts with what is the problem we are trying to solve? What is the question we need to answer? Why do we need to install this new technology? Right. And then by understanding how you're going to set up your framework, you need to have strong business process leaders leading the technology innovation because technology has a lot of bells and whistles. Some of <laughs> it is appropriate. Yeah. Not all of it is gonna be appropriate, right? It depends on your business and what do you want to get out of the tool? What are the key questions you need to ask in order to be able to get the technology to answer the questions you have, right? What are the data sources? If you have garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. So work on clean data stack. And then you have to have the user community at every step of the way buying into the process. They need to be able to dictate the direction that you go. And if you're doing all of these things with uh top management buy-in and sponsorship, yeah. business process discipline, what question, what problem are we trying to solve for, user integration and buy-in, then the implementation is going to be a piece of cake. But, you know, Sam, you and I know. I've done this for 30 years. I've never I'm... seen a clean implementation. Never ever, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something always falls down in the process and you need to iterate again so
2: it's a very religious discussion i like to define it as wedding that weddings are not supposed to be you know successful if you can make them successful to let's say 70% 80% i think that's a big win in my mind just because yeah. you have a lot of different opinions involved, a lot of different people involved, and you want to make sure that everybody is comfortable. And that's the most difficult part uh, of any of the technology. And technology is probably going to be the easy part. So now let's tie this back to, I mean, you talk a lot about, you know, business model. You know, uh, I don't mm-hmm. know if people can really relate and understand how business model sort of ties to your processes and why processes need to be integrated, why technology needs to be there to be able to integrate this uh, business model uh, or the processes to enable the business model and finally get the results, right? I don't think uh, a lot of people really understand, but everything is correlated. For example, your business model is going to be dependent upon how integrated your processes are, meaning... How integrated your systems are. If your systems are not going to be integrated, obviously you don't have very defined business model. So, you talk about this a lot, you know, overall the business model and the, the mm-hmm. process integration. So, do you want to touch a little bit on that?
0: Yeah. So, Sam, again, it doesn't matter which part of the process you're in. Yeah. It's always about people, process, and systems. Yep. Right. So, if you're having, uh, if you're setting a three to five year strategic plan for the business, right. Okay. And uh, if I'm selling, if I'm selling a line of skincare, right, let's call it, right. You know, what are the trends? What are the consumer needs? And, you know, what are, what are the, you know, ingredients, et cetera, that I need to have? So it's, it's a, it's a C-suite conversation with my chief growth officer, with my CEO, the CFO, the chief marketing officer, and so on. So who are the people do I need to hire? in order to help me, you know, to penetrate Asia, to penetrate Europe, North America, whatever it is. Right. At the next level, you know, you've got an annual business plan. So in order to have a three-year plan, you know, what am I going to do this year in order to get on the road to that? Right. And that's that's the old sales and operations planning process. Okay. Right. Again, it's a cross-functional discussion that says, who are the people do I need? It's a cross-functional team of finance, marketing, sales, supply chain, procurement. Yeah. R&D. Yeah. Um, What are the processes by which I'm going to run this integrated business planning S&OP process? Yeah. Who are the people that need to be in the room? How are they, what is the process for preparing the inputs? Yeah. How am I going to get the outputs and where is the process and where is the data going to live? So there's the system, right? And and then you take it down. Now you've got a, an annual plan, a sales and operations business plan. You take it down to a, a supply chain plan. Yeah. Within the supply chain, you've got manufacturing and you've got procurement. Yeah. What am I going to manufacture and what do I need to manufacture it? What are the inbound materials that I need in order to make this manufacturing production plan? Right. And then what are my inventory needs? Where are my, my warehousing needs and inventory needs? Where am I going to ship to? Yeah. Right. And and then it's the local to local conversation between factories, inbound suppliers, distribution center requirements, and what are the people that are required? Yeah. What are the processes? And then how are the systems going? What is the enterprise system, whether it's an ERP? And it could be, you know, when you're talking SMB, it could be something like, you know, NetSuite or yeah. or, you know, Dynamics, you know, three sixty-five, one of these, you know? Yeah. It doesn't have to be a massive Oracle system or, or SAP. Right. So if you know, this is the language of finance. Right. Right. It's the enterprise software. It's the truth of the, you know, the business, you know, right. and where is the data going to live and, and how am I going to Take inputs, put them in, jumble them up, spit them out into proper outputs, right? So every step of the process is going to be about strategic planning all the way down to what am I going to make in production next week? All follow largely the same key steps, obviously different levels of granularity.
2: Okay, so amazing description there. So I am actually going to provide some of these stories and scenarios from my experience, what I have personally seen, especially in the SMB space, right? So as you correctly pointed out, that when you are doing this planning, you know, obviously you need to involve everybody. You want to make sure that everybody is going to be comfortable with the process. As you correctly pointed out, that, you know, you are probably going to have sales, operations, supply chain, procurement, finance, R&D. Those are going to be teams that are going to be involved. But typically, in my experience, what I see, especially in the SMB space, okay? So SNOP, obviously, SNOP is a term because you want to make sure that you have equal representation of sales and operations. But typically what ends up happening is sales says everything. Okay, whatever sales wants, that's what is going to happen. Operations typically are going to have very little say in that. Procurement is sitting somewhere in the corner. You know, know, they are simply doing something, you know, nobody knows about. Uh, Whenever there is going to be a shortage of the material, then they get called and and they are going to be in trouble. Uh, But for the most part, this is the, you know, the, the state. Uh, of the SMB that we typically see $50 to $100 right. million, dollar, uh, you know, businesses. So what do you really say to these guys, especially when it comes to planning and, and process maturity?
0: Yeah, well, and, and so this is why I get called, right? <laughs> because w- what's happening is uh, we've got a lot of pain points. Sales says, I'm going to sell 100. Okay, so we make 100 because nobody questions sales. Yeah. Right? And guess what? We only sold 50. So now I've got 50 that I don't know what to do with. They're yep. gathering dust and I'm going to have to write off a bunch of inventory. Or right. I just took an order and nobody nobody really uh, discussed whether we had the manufacturing capability to do it in the time frame. Yeah. So sales takes an order, you don't say no, and and suddenly I I can't, you know, I'm stressing the supply chain because I can't get the materials in, my supplier can't meet my demands um uh, the production lines are sitting waiting yeah. for inbound materials that is that is the reality of what happens every single day and when it's happening more and more and the system is stressed that is that aha moment that is the moment that they wake up and they say oh you know we have so many supplier issues because we can't meet the sales demand so, we must need to hire somebody who's going to own the supplier issues, right? Let's hire a procurement manager. right. They're not looking at the root cause of what's created the ills, and the ills are created by me, by by the upfront process of sales. I agree. not integrating with operations to say, "I've got an opportunity to sell this. Can you make this in the time frame possible?" And if that conversation happens, and operations said can you wait a little bit or can we do this instead of that can you go back to the customer if that conversation took place then none of the pain would have created but there's not that maturity yet right so the maturity path just isn't there all of a sudden we know we're in a lot of pain yep because we've got a lot of operational issues yep we need to do something hey sam come over and help us figure out what our problem is. Anna, come over and help us figure out what the problem is. And it always starts with, let me look at the numbers. Yeah. Let me look at the numbers. Uh, And then, you know, are they measuring? There's no such thing as forecast error or forecast accuracy.
3: Right. Nobody
0: is measuring it. Right,
3: Right. Right.
0: And you can't fix what you're not, you know, you can't improve what you don't measure. Right. So it starts with understanding what set of KPIs, service levels with suppliers inventory management levels, inventory yep. terms. Yeah. Yep. Uh, obsolete and slow moving. Nobody is looking at these things typically. Yeah. At the at this stage in the process. And you know, people like you and me come in and we start to put a little sanity checks in place to say you need to start looking at this. Right. You need to start thinking about that. This is the impact of one decision over another and this is the result if you don't start looking at this
2: very interesting so the sanity check that you were talking about even if let's say we are going to be helping these businesses and i'm actually going to build on you know our scenario uh the interesting situations that it because see in the market and this is going to be related to inventory because inventory is where the real pain is in my experience so when you are going to have sales team sales team is going to dictate that okay this is what i'm looking for and here is how operations is going to respond if they are not involved in the process or the supply chain is going to respond they are going to overstock the hell out of the inventory. okay nobody's questioning them <laughs> nobody right. i i don't know who should own the kpis for the inventory and this is something i have always struggled cfos don't really have that strong supply chain background Your supply chain guy is probably a junior guy who's, you know, you hired just to do some computation math, Excel. (laughs) He's trying to do somehow making sure that, you know, the goods get delivered. That's what he or she is trying to do. He or she has a tough job. So now who should be accountable for the inventory KPIs? Uh, And let's say if you are seeing this with a client that, you know, they, they are claiming that they are literally overstocking the inventory and that's where the cash is locked, but nobody is really caring for that. So what would you say to this customer?
0: So uh, I'm going to take uh, probably a, a cop-out here and to say it's owned by everyone. It's owned by the leadership team because inventory is a byproduct of what is the service level we need to establish for the business. Because let's say you want 95% case fill you know yeah. on time and full orders yeah well what is the cost of the inventory that's going to be required in order to meet that confidence level 95% yeah. on time and full what, what that KPI it starts with that so inventory is cash right yes. inventory is cash and so if there is a cash Delivery requirement, balance sheet. So it's you know, inventory is an asset on the books on your balance sheet, and then you know, tying up the cash and having low or slow turns is going to impact your cash flow. Yeah. So the CFO absolutely has to have an interest in what is my inventory. This isn't a supply chain issue. Yeah. Because what is the supply chain doing? They're just executing, right? They're executing. So. If if sales is the one that owns the forecast, well, they better have a skin in the game for how much inventory we're putting in the system. Right. But again, you know, when I talked very early in the conversation about responsiveness, um, it's really about how quickly can your supply chain respond with the lowest amount of inventory investment? That's the trick, right? Because it's easy to stock up your warehouse up to the roof yeah. with inventory. And inventory cover, covers a lot of ills. It covers a lot of inventory. It covers a lot of uh, process sins, right? You know, I, you know, I stocked out or I can't make an order. Let's just carry more safety stock. That's yeah. not the answer. Right. You know, what happens when this product no longer is selling and suddenly you've got to write off a million dollars worth of inventory? And that happens every day. So it has to be jointly owned. By the C-suite. Yeah. And, and ultimately, I would say if you have to have a clear owner, it's got to be the CFO.
2: Okay, so very interesting. And this is what I personally struggle to be honest. I mean, when we talk to these businesses, right? So when you talk about the shared responsibility, and Niu you already said that you have been doing this for 30 years. Uh, you know, I've been in the business for 20 years. Uh, one thing that I have learned in my, my career is that if you are going to give anybody shared responsibility, okay, nobody is going to deliver on that. Because yeah. nobody's getting fired because of those KPIs. And if you are going to have the joint agreement, then you have to have some sort of KPIs for somebody. So would you yeah. still uh, you know, give it back to CFO? Or when you designed this framework, so obviously you were talking about the team structure, you were talking about the um, governance process, So governance process, in my mind, if I'm looking at either the customer experience process, now supply chain processes are going to be equally important for the organizational maturity. So when you are setting the framework, obviously you need to identify different people, different processes, different systems, but the most important part is going to be what is going to be their roles and responsibilities and who is going to be responsible for which KPIs. Uh, In my mind, I think that is uh, super important. So in your case, when you design these inventory uh, KPIs, so who do you typically assign it to so
0: typically it's it's the supply chain who's the caretaker okay right? so they're gatekeeping the inventory right they're gatekeeping and they're they're tracking it so they're they're tracking the forecast accuracy they're tracking safety stock levels inventory levels inventory turns they are the ones that are reporting right now it's up to supply chain to bring to the attention of sales and marketing and finance, this is the problem area and we need to collectively manage this problem inventory. What do we need to do? So, you know, who owns the inventory? Yeah. Um, the gatekeeping of the inventory is usually a supply chain operations function, right? So even at the suppliers, okay, yeah. so procurement is negotiating, with the supplier we need you to hold this much inventory for us
3: yeah
0: that inventory is owned by supply chain okay. not procurement it's it's you know procurement is just negotiating the the terms of how the supplier carries the inventory right. but the movement of the inventory the levels of the inventory it's all a supply chain gatekeeping function they monitor it they track it and they report it so so therefore that's the ultimate ownership in terms of again I want to call it gatekeeping but actioning it decision making you know do we write it off yeah. how do we minimize the write off then yeah. then you have to bring in sales and then finance is obviously a part of this discussion and they're ultimately the ones that are signing off on what happens to the or you know it's we're going to we're going to make a deliberate decision to carry less inventory and we are prepared to take down our service levels or we're going to have a tiered approach to our customer base so we're going to rank our ABC suppliers yep. we will never cut an A customer and it's okay if we cut a C supplier once in a while
3: yeah yeah yeah
0: the other interesting thing though sam is is really about how do you reward sales right, right. so yep. You know most companies traditionally incent incentivize salespeople to sell, yep, right, but they don't really try and incentivize profitable growth, right so yep. you've got to meet certain you know margin hurdles in order to get your bonus the minute they're incentivized to grow profitably as opposed to just sell without any kind of thought process about how this impacts my profitability, yeah. Um, that is a key point in, in helping to drive some of this efficiency is is how you reward the sales process.
2: Yeah, so very interesting discussion there. So I'm going to pick up, you know, one layer again. I think that's a very interesting layer in the commentary that you mentioned. And that is going to be the customer, uh, you know, layers that you mentioned. And any, uh, you know, the process framework guys, if you ask them, okay, how do you prioritize things, how you, uh, you know, provide some sort of structure, they are always going to recommend that have some sort of structure, have some sort of priorities, uh, you are not going to be treating every customer the same. Okay? So here's the problem that I see when I talk to these customers. So, uh, you know, for them, when we, they, they look at the inventory, they just don't want to do anything in the system. For them, system is just a, you know, system that is sitting there, uh, you know, somewhere in the background. The process is happening here. Sometimes there is significant discrepancy between what system has versus what is happening in the real physical world now when you are going to have this tiered approach you are going to have some sort of allocation for the inventory if you don't have allocation for the inventory everybody's sort of going to be stealing the inventory and then you are going to have a lot of fun when your key customer is actually not going to get the the service levels so when you let's say again i'm going back to my example where you have let's say you know 100 200 i've seen this problem even in case of $400 $400 million business to be honest. I mean, they yes. had fake inventory in, in their website. They had no allocation, no reserving for any customers, no preferential treatment for any customers or vendors. So I don't know what would you say to this business, Anna?
0: Yeah. First of all, you need to be careful, right? And and how you manage this because like, you don't want to you don't want to um appear like you're favoring certain customers versus another. Yeah. That's so you true. could You know, you could you could set up a hub and spoke model, you know, where where you've got certain customers that are going to go through distribution only. And so you sell to distributors and the distributors feed some of your C-class direct customers, direct clients. But, you know, essentially, you do have to have a mechanism of allocation set up in the system. Right. Um, Especially if you're taking a conscious decision to limit your inventory. Yeah. So without a proper allocation and and you can set the allocation level, you know, depending on what it is. So you have to be able to uh, have those parameters. And it's been a long time since I was in that low level of of setting up those parameters. But typically sales allocation yeah. is a is a huge necessity right? In, in terms of how you're managing your inventory, especially when. Um, So either facing deliberate decisions to reduce inventory or or when it's forced upon you based on a supply chain disruption. Right. The minute you've got a supply chain disruption, you need a mechanism for who's going to get what and set those levels. You know, customer A, who is an A class customer, is going to get 10 and the B class customer, you know, may get eight.
3: Right. You you know,
0: in in this particular scenario. So um, absolutely critical. And I know there's always a lot of politics and debates, right? There's a lot of infighting, especially when it comes to sales, because, you know, if, if you're representing one set of customers who are going to get lower levels of allocation, you know, everybody is fighting for their turf at that point. So it really does require consensus building and, um, you know, a, a real look at looking at the data and driving. So what's the contribution margin? Right. You know, and what's the opportunity cost of customer A versus customer B? So if you're having a rational discussion about the potential growth of the client, if you're having a discussion about the margin contribution, the pricing tiers, it's going to be a meaningless argument to argue over facts. Right. So get the facts out on the table and let the numbers dictate what the policy is going to be.
2: Okay, amazing conversation. So that's it for today. Do you have any last minute closing thoughts or remarks for our listeners?
0: Yeah, so change management, right? Change management, make sure you're involving the user community, because they're the ones that are in the day to day successful implementation of any process change or system change is really the key to getting user adoption. So so that's that's really my closing for today, Sam. It's been an amazing conversation. I've learned a lot from you. And hopefully our audience, uh, you know, got a tip or two from both of us uh, to go forward.
2: Yeah, I can almost guarantee that they got it. Yeah, and in fact, I, mean, I learned a lot from this conversation. So thank you so much for that. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be, The change management is obviously going to be essential. Without change management, you are not going to be able to make any changes, but make sure you are setting those APIs and making somebody accountable in the organization. If you don't do that, nobody's going to do anything. So on that note, Anna, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, This has been a fascinating conversation.
0: Thank you so much, Sam. I appreciate it.
2: I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings, from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Anna, head over to pondviewconsulting.com. It's P-O-N-D-V-I-E-W-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. They'll help you generate value and growth from your integrated business planning processes or supplier partnerships. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, You might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Hugo Funtas, who shares the nuances of inventory turnover and how that could help optimize the inventory and cash flow. Also, the interview with Mike Ryan, who discusses how to do sales and operations planning appropriately for a growing business. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or dm me on any social channels i'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help thank you and i hope to catch you on the next episode of the thank podcast. you for
1: listening to another episode of the wbs podcast be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode